Hello and welcome. I am Dr. John O'Kane from the University of Washington Sports Medicine Clinic, and I am assisted today by Lori Sabado, who is our Director of Physical Therapy at the Sports Medicine Clinic, and we're going to talk to you about common running injuries. Um, the injuries that we're going to deal with affect the hip, the knee, and also the foot. Uh, before we get started, though, I want to review overuse injuries in general. Normally, uh, running injuries are not acute injuries like turning an ankle or twisting a knee, but more commonly they come on uh, insidiously. Initially, there's a process of microtrauma where damage takes place at a cellular level, then inflammation follows that, and eventually, if it's not treated, you actually end up with uh, tendon or tissue degeneration. Usually, those injuries follow some type of repetitive activity, so running is a classic uh, activity that can cause an overuse injury. Generally, the onset is insidious, so they're barely noticed, and then they become increasingly painful, and then eventually, they become limiting. Um, there are two factors that are very important in overuse injuries. One are training errors, and this commonly occurs when people go out and they try doing too much too quickly. Uh, they jump right into a five to ten mile running program without working their way up to that appropriately. Um, usually about 10% a week in terms of increasing the distance you do is a safe measure. Uh, inadequate rest is also a factor, so jumping into a running program and going every day and not giving yourself rest days can also be a problem. Inadequate fuel, where you're not taking in adequate calories to make up for your training, can be an issue. Um, poor or excessively worn equipment can be a problem, and usually if you're talking about running, you're going to be talking about shoes, and we'll deal with that more later. And then terrain changes can also be an issue. So if you move from an area that's very flat and suddenly you live in a hilly area and try to do your same workout on hills, that could be a big change in the stresses and, uh, and results in overuse injuries. Biomechanical issues, which we're going to deal with a fair bit today, include malalignment, uh, poor flexibility where certain muscles are tight or strength deficits where certain muscles are weak and they can all contribute to overuse injuries. Um, another issue that's very important is you can have an injury uh, such as an ankle sprain uh, or, or a muscle strain that is, not completely, that is not completely rehabilitated and because of that incomplete rehabilitation then an overuse injury can come up at another location. Um, generally, when you have overuse injuries, the treatment principles start with rest. It's important not to keep running uh, when it's causing pain. Um, ice initially is very important. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, which are medications like ibuprofen and Aleve, can be helpful in the acute setting uh, in terms of decreasing that inflammation. Modifying the training errors that exist and then addressing the biomechanics are also important. Um, so let's now talk about some specific injuries. We're going to start with the hip and we're going to talk about trochanteric bursitis, uh, strains and tendonitis in the hip muscles, and then also we're going to talk a little bit about stress fractures. Um, trochanteric bursitis, the trochanter is this bone here on the outside of the hip, and this is an area that can commonly become tender in runners. Uh, the iliotibial band, which we'll talk about a lot today, is a very important structure that uh, it's connective tissue that attaches to three muscles up here and then goes and crosses over the greater trochanter and goes all the way down and attaches at the bottom of the knee. Um, if you get ex this band rubs back and forth over the greater trochanter, which is this hip bone right here, and that rubbing can cause pain and inflammation, which is uh, trochanteric bursitis. You can also get tendonitis uh, where these hip external rotators, the muscles that allow you to externally rotate the hip, come in and attach to that bone. Um, usually the, the symptoms include pain and tenderness right in this area and you may have a little bit of distal radiation of that pain down along that iliotibial band. Sometimes too you can get snapping of that band over that bone. 
Um, in terms of the biomechanics, if that iliotibial band is tight, that increases the friction across here, and that can be part of the problem. In addition, if your hip has excessive pronation or internal rotation, that stretches that band more over that bone, and that can cause a problem. Um, excessive pronation at the foot or subtalar pronation can also have a tendency to turn that hip and turn that knee in, and so that can aggravate the problem. And then finally, tightness or weakness of these hip external rotators, limiting their ability to correct that pronation. Uh, that, that can also uh, be a factor that causes this problem. In terms of rehabilitation, stretching of the iliotibial band, strengthening those hip stabilizing muscles, and correcting that pr uh, pronation can all be important. And Laurie's going to review some of that for you. I'm going to show several ITB stretches throughout this program. In the first stretch, I'm going to show it standing. What we're, we're going to start is we're going to bring the leg behind your um, non-stretched leg. So we're going to stretch this leg here. And what I'm going to do is lean my hips to the side and forward, and I'm going to attempt to keep my body in line with my hips, thereby stretching the outside of my um, hip muscle. That would be a good stretch for your ITB. Another good stabilization kind of exercise or strengthening type of exercise is where you bring your leg out to the side. You can do it in this manner, or you can do it with surgical tubing around your ankles. And you can bring your leg up and out to the side in this manner and strengthening the muscles on the side of the hip. Um, a good stabilization exercise you can do for your ITB so that there's not a lot of rubbing there is when you stand, you can stand on one leg. Typically, sometimes you see people who have weak hip muscles tend to stand like this. What I'm going to do is attempt to stand on one leg. And I can further challenge that by even moving my opposite leg around, really challenging um, the stability of my hip muscle. All right, great. Thanks, Laurie. Um, the next thing I want to move on to are hip strains and tendinitis. Um, there are a number of different muscles in your hip that can be strained. Uh, usually the ones that uh, we encounter most frequently are the iliopsoas muscle, which runs right down here along the front of the hip, and that usually causes pain right in this area. Um, another muscle that can become involved are the hip adductor muscles, which run along the inside of the thigh and help you bring your legs together. And then the rectus femoris is an additional muscle that's a thigh muscle that comes up and attaches right up in here, and that can also cause pain. Usually if you have a muscle strain, you have pain trying to use that muscle. So if it's a hip flexor, Lori would have pain coming into this position, or if she tries to passively flex that muscle. So if she brings her hip back and, excuse me, passively extends and stretches that muscle, then that will also cause pain. Um, but, uh, in terms of the biomechanics, there's a couple of different issues that can cause hip strains or tendinitis. One is weakness of those muscles, and the other is poor flexibility. So both of those are factors that sometimes need to be corrected. Another thing that can be an issue is uh, if you have an injury to one of these muscles and then you don't rehabilitate it as you get back to your running program, uh, then that muscle can be uh, subject to further injury or other muscles surrounding that can be injured as well. In terms of the rehabilitation, initially you want to rest the injured muscle. Um, you want to try to gradually get that muscle going as your symptoms allow. You want to stretch it as tolerated but not stretch through the point of pain. You want to strengthen it with weight-bearing exercises. You want to try to correct altered biomechanics when they exist and then gradually return to full activity. And Laurie's going to go through some of that now. One of the stretching muscles that, or stretching exercises that you could do for a hip flexor is when you bring your knee back behind your hip and put a stretch across the front of your um, hip. Um, 
the way people sometimes will do it incorrectly is they'll do something like this where they'll stretch through their lower back and what you want to do is keep your back relatively neutral and stretch here you can further stretch it by even going down onto the knee and I can feel it where you can pull that stretch not only across the hip flexor but you'll probably get some of your quad involved another stretch that you can do for your hip or your adductor muscle that uh, John was talking about is bring your leg off to the side you can do it like this. You can even do it uh, sitting down with your leg out to the side and stretch your adductor muscles. Strengthening exercises, again, we could do something as simple as surgical tubing. So we'll take the tubing, and what I'll do is I'll attempt to bend my hip or flex my hip against resistance like this. Or we can do the same thing for the adductor muscles. So if, John, you could hang on to that, we could do a strengthening exercise where you'll bring your leg toward the inside if he doesn't pull me over. <laughs> All right, thank you, Larry. Um, uh, the next thing I want to do is touch on stress fractures a little bit. Um, stress fractures can occur uh, in the hips, in the leg bones, and also in the feet related to running. We're going to deal specifically with one hip stress fracture today. But before we get into that, I would like to talk just a little bit about stress fractures in general. Normal bone is always remodeling. In other words, it's breaking down and then rebuilding. Um, stress fractures occur if the stresses causing the breakdown are too excessive so that the bone cannot remodel fast enough or if the bone remodeling process is interfered with. Um, there's, uh, the factors that can cause excessive loading of the bone are the training errors, which we've discussed already, and then there's a number of intrinsic factors that are associated with stress fractures in the lower extremity. One is a history of prior stress fracture. So if you've had one stress fracture, you're much more likely to have a second one. Significant leg length differences can be an issue. Hard playing surfaces, so if you do all of your running on concrete, that can be an issue. Um, very high arches, uh, or what we call excessive subtalar supination, where your feet tend to turn out can be an issue. Poor flexibility is a factor, and also having small calves is actually a factor for uh, stress fractures in your lower extremities. Um, in terms of risk factors that weaken bone, there are uh, some metabolic insults that can be an issue. One is inactivity. So if you sprain an ankle and are unable to run for six weeks and then go back to running and jump right back into your same program, your bones are no longer trained for that same level of activity and that can cause a stress fracture. Um, certain diseases can cause stress fractures. Medications including glucocorticoids, um, those are medications like prednisone that people might be taking for medical conditions such as asthma for instance. Uh, those medications can uh, affect bone metabolism. And then nutritional deficiencies including uh, insufficient calories for your training program, inadequate calcium or inadequate vitamin D can also be an issue. There are some gender-specific factors that are worth mentioning. Uh, in women, estrogen is very important to maintain bone health and to maintain bone density. And so when women go through menopause and their estrogen drops, their bones tend to weaken. Uh, that's one of the reason that one of the reasons that uh, doctors recommend that women around menopause come in to talk to their physicians about estrogen replacement. Uh, whether or not you replace estrogen is, is a large topic and it depends on a number of other issues but, um, but it can help maintain bone density and so it's important to have that discussion with your physician. Um, there's also an issue called the female athlete triad that's getting more and more press lately. Uh, the triad is defined as amenorrhea, which means an absence of normal periods, um, disordered eating, which can be as severe as anorexia or bulimia, um, but can also be as simple as just not taking in enough calories to make up for what you're burning off with your running. And then finally, osteoporosis that results from, uh, from the inadequate calories and the inadequate estrogen can follow. Um, 
I think that uh, it, it's important that all, of these that all of these issues are addressed when someone is presenting with something that could be a stress fracture. The stress fractures that cause pain in the hip area are the pubic ramus, and the pubic ramus is a bone that runs in the front of the pelvis, pelvis right through here, and so pain is usually in this location. The proximal femoral shaft, which is the upper thigh bone, which usually will cause pain in this location, and then lastly, the femoral neck, and that's the one we're gonna deal with. And that femoral neck is the very top of the, of the humerus excuse me, of the femur, and it comes up and attaches, uh, the hip bone comes out through the femoral neck, and we'll show that on the next picture. Um, the, uh, usually the pain that people complain of is insidious pain that gradually gets worse. Initially, you just notice it only with running. Eventually, it bothers you walking, and then finally, it bothers you all the time, including when you're trying to sleep. The pain is worse with weight bearing, and it's worse with hip motion, especially internal rotation. So Lori's going to demonstrate internal rotation of her hip. This motion is usually particularly painful if there's an issue with the femoral neck. It's very important that if you have any of these symptoms or are suspicious that you could have this injury, that you stop training immediately and see your physician. Um, this is a picture, of an x-ray of the hip, and this is the femoral neck right through here. Uh, it's where the uh, femur comes up and then the femoral neck goes to the femoral head that actually attaches uh, to the pelvis to make the hip joint. The injury we're talking about occurs right through here. As this demonstrates, this is a normal x-ray, and as this demonstrates, stress fractures usually don't show up on regular x-rays. So if you go to your doctor with a possibility of a stress fracture, they'll order one of two tests. This is called a bone scan, and this demonstrates a, a black spot right here in this femoral neck. And that is uh, consistent with a stress fracture in that area. This normal side here, you can see, does not have that black spot. And you can also see this on an MRI. And this is a picture of an MRI. And if you look right here, you can see a line that goes through that bone, whereas here on the normal side, there's not a line. And this is consistent with a stress fracture running through that femoral neck. Um, if you do have a stress fracture and it involves the underside of the femoral neck, which we call the compression side, that usually can be treated without uh, what we call conservatively, without surgery. Um, people have to get onto crutches and stay on crutches until they have no pain at all, and then gradually they can start working back to normal activities. But it's rare that they would return to running um, before three months or longer. Uh, on the other hand, if the uh, stress fracture involves the upper side, of the femoral neck involves this area or goes all the way through the femoral neck, which was demonstrated on those pictures, uh, then that has to be fixed with surgery and these three large screws are placed across the femoral neck to hold that together. Um, obviously, this is something that you'd rather avoid as a runner and so it's important if, if you think you could have this injury uh, to bring it to your doctor's attention. Next, we're going to move on to knee injuries, and we're going to deal with two common uh, knee problems that we see in runners. One is iliotibial band tendinitis, and the other is patellofemoral pain, otherwise known as chondromalacia. Um, the iliotibial band, uh, again, we discussed this before, it starts up here with three muscular attachments, runs down across the outside of the hip, and then comes all the way down here and attaches down here below the knee. It has two functions. It, it terminally extends the knee, so it helps you do that. And it also helps stabilize the knee laterally. So as you're running, it helps prevent excessive movement in this direction. Um, the tendonitis develops when this band starts to rub over the, the lower end of the femur bone and causes irritation and abrasion and pain. Usually, um, that pain starts out very laterally and starts out only with running. So people will notice that as they're running, their knee's getting sore. It usually occurs at foot strike 
and then initial flexion. So that first 30 degrees of flexion is when people really say, yeah, that hurts right there. And that's when they really start to notice it. Um, it usually goes away with rest and then comes back again when they try to run again. But if people keep on going, eventually it will hurt all the time. Um, one thing to remember is that if you're having these symptoms and your whole knee swells up, if you start to get swelling that involves your entire knee, that's not typical of iliotibial band. And that's something that you should really bring to your doctor's attention. Um, in terms of the biomechanics, poor flexibility of this iliotibial band can be an issue because that increases that rubbing on the outside and also factors that tend to cause increased internal rotation of that hip or increased pronation of that hip will cause additional friction of that iliotibial band here. Lastly, similar to the trochanteric bursitis, if these hip external rotators are weak and you can't stabilize that hip as you're running, you can't keep it externally rotated, then that can also be a factor. In terms of rehabilitation, it's very important initially to rest and then to work aggressively on stretching and hip stabilization. Rarely we can inject this if it's not getting better, and very rarely surgery is required. But usually uh, rest and stretching will get the job done, and Lori's going to review that now. Once again, there's that standing ITB stretch where you're going to bring your knee across the midline of your body when standing. You can also do that a similar stretch sitting. And I'm going to bring, again, my knee across the midline of my body. Just pull in, I'll feel the stretch through the outside of my leg here. Or I can also do it kneeling. When I do it kneeling, I'll just once again bring my knee across the midline of my body and then bring the hip off and out to the side. As far as strengthening exercises, again, we can do the hip abduction strengthening exercise. And or another exercise I like to have patients do is sometimes you'll see the knee fall in as you tend to um, flex your knee with weight. So what I'll have patients do is just work on stabilizing it and learn to bring their knee over their foot when they're going up and down on their legs. Great, Larry. Thanks. Um, again, I really want to emphasize the importance of recognizing this problem early and stretching frequently and stretching early and not running through it. Because almost every time, this will get better as long as it's addressed early on. Um, the next thing I want to talk about is patellofemoral pain. Uh, this is the most common cause of anterior knee pain, and generally people will describe symptoms that are right around this kneecap. So it'll be right around the knee, just below, maybe one side or the other, but, but clearly in the front of the knee. Um, this is also referred to as chondromalacia, and technically chondromalacia means uh, a, 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 a disease, a wear and tear of the cartilage on the underside of the kneecap. You can have anterior knee pain with or without degeneration of that cartilage. And so I think that's one thing that's important to understand. I think another thing that's important to understand with this problem is that this is not the first sign of knee arthritis. And a lot of people come in with pain in the front of their knee. Um, it's gradually getting worse. And they're concerned that they're, that they're developing arthritis. And this is the beginning of the end for their running. Um, usually that's not the case. And so usually we can get these people better and keep them out there and keep them active. Um, again, usually the pain is in the front of the knee. It's worse with running. It also is often worse with stairs. So people will say when they're going up or down stairs, this bothers them. And it's worse with prolonged flexion. So sitting on an airplane for a long time, uh, sitting in a movie theater, that will, especially when you first stand up and try to get going, your knee will be sore. People will describe uh, patella crepitus, which means kind of a crunching or a grinding under that kneecap when they extend their knee. And uh, another thing that they'll notice is that if they kneel, if they put pressure through into that kneecap, that will be painful. When people see me with this, pain with patella translation or moving their kneecap side to side, 
uh, is common. And again, generally, you do not have a knee effusion. So your knee does not swell up with this problem. And it's important that if your knee is swelling, that you see a physician sooner than later. In terms of the biomechanics, uh, this problem is usually the result of uh, poor alignment of this patella. That patella wants to track uh, in a line from the thigh down to the leg and forces that tend to pull this patella off to one side uh, are, the, are the types of things that will tend to cause this problem. A tight iliotibial band or a tight lateral retinaculum, which is this tissue on the side of the knee that will tend to pull this patella to the side can be a factor. Weakness of this muscle right here, which is called the vastus medialis obliquus or the VMO, will, will prevent the uh, the thigh from being able to pull this muscle centrally, excuse me, pull this uh, patella centrally where it wants to be. Another thing that can be a factor here is any of those same factors that tend to cause that hip to internally rotate that will tend to get that kneecap tracking out to the outside. So weakness in these rotators or increased uh, pronation uh, can also be factors. In terms of the rehabilitation, rest and ice are very important initially. Um, NSAIDs can be helpful initially. And then it's very important to work on the flexibility and also the strength thing that Lori's going to address now. One of the um, stretches that I usually have people do with uh, patellofemoral pain is a quad stretch. And usually this is not very well tolerated in the acute stage. But as a person resolves or as the pain uh, symptoms resolve, um, if you bring your foot to your hip, with your hip forward, and what I'm stretching is the muscle on the front of my thigh. This would be a good quad stretch for this kind of problem. The other thing as far as strengthening, um, what we can use is a step or a stair. And what I'll do is I'll have patients or people work on their alignment when they go up and down stairs. They're going to keep their knee in line with their foot and hip and work on coming up the stair as well as down the stair. What frequently you'll see is something like this. And where you're going to work is try and keep the knee in line with your foot. Other exercises that you can do at the gym or even at home is you can do partial squats. You can do something as, as simple as lunges, again, keeping the knee in good alignment. At the gym, you can do leg presses. And that's where you get on the machine where you go to extend your leg. And usually, if your knee is a little bit on the irritable side, you want to start with a few degrees of knee extension to begin with, and then progressively increase the amount of knee bend as your leg tolerates. The one exercise you should all avoid is the one where you put your um, feet behind the um, pad and you attempt to extend your knees like this. This tends to put a, a tremendous amount of um, strain across the front of your knee. Thank you. Uh, next, we'll finish up with a couple foot injuries. Um, first, I want to talk about something called metatarsalgia, which is pain over the metatarsal heads. And the second is plantar fasciitis. Um, Lori's going to help us uh, demonstrate the metatarsal heads here. It's this area right here. It's the end of these metatarsals. And this is the area that really takes a lot of force when you're running. Usually, people will describe pain with push-offs. So when they're pushing off and uh, accelerating off of these metatarsal heads, that causes the symptoms. Um, there's a, a couple different issues that are important to think about. One is that if people tend to have a short first ray, so if this metatarsal here is short, then what happens is the second metatarsal will take more of the impact. And that's a common cause of metatarsalgia here in the second metatarsal. Another thing worth, worth mentioning is there is something called a Morton's neuroma, which is a nerve cyst that usually comes in here between the third and fourth toes. And that Morton's neuroma will cause pain here and also some uh, tingling and some numbness that comes out through these toes. So that's another factor that can sometimes be involved in pain in the metatarsal heads. 
Um, in terms of the biomechanics, the short first ray, which we mentioned, can be an issue. Um, also, excessive pronation or supination of the foot can be an issue. And uh, we'll have Lori demonstrate that right here. Pronation is when you have a tendency to really roll that foot in, um, where that arch really flattens out. Supination is where there's a tendency for the foot to actually be more on the outside. And we talked about that as being a risk factor for stress fractures. And when you're dealing with foot problems, this puts more stress on the outside metatarsals. And when you come in this way, it puts more stress on the inside metatarsals. Another thing that can be a factor uh, is excessive shoe wear. And most running shoes are designed to be used for anywhere from three to 500 miles. And so if you're using your shoes well beyond that, that can be a risk factor. And uh, so it may be just as simple as getting new running shoes to help decrease this problem. Um, in terms of the treatment, rest is important initially. New shoes uh, may, may be the solution. And then following that, if, if that's not effective, there's different things you can try to do to unweight the tender area. And that includes felt, um, different padding techniques, and also orthotics. And Lori's going to demonstrate uh, how we use an orthotic. So this orthotic um, will help support that pronation that John was talking about that can help put more stress across the front of your um, metatarsals. If I go into the orthotic, it'll help support my arch a little bit more versus if I don't have the orthotic, my foot will fall in and more of the stress may go into my metatarsals. Another uh, factor to consider, too, is that um, most running shoes are designed for people that tend to pronate or tend to supinate. And so if you are a supinator in a pronator's shoe or vice versa, that can also be a risk factor. So it's important to talk to your physician or therapist or a, a good running store, uh, a good running shoe store, uh, when you're buying your shoes to make sure you're in the correct shoe, because that by itself could, could be an issue. Um, the last thing I want to talk about is plantar fasciitis, and this is by far the most common cause of pain on the inside of the heel. Um, usually people, when it first starts, will say that they have a lot of pain right in this area, first few steps in the morning. They wake up, first couple steps, it's really sore through here. Usually it's not up so much in this area. The plantar fascia starts here and then extends out and attaches up around the metatarsal heads. Usually initially it hurts when they start to run, gets better as they keep running, and then, uh, and then eventually though it'll hurt through their entire run and eventually it'll keep them from running. Um, the uh, biomechanics include excessive pronation and excessive supination, which we reviewed before. And also what's a little different about this problem is that a tight heel cord or a tight Achilles tendon can really be an issue. Um, in terms of the treatment, rest and ice massage over that tender area is helpful initially. Um, heel cord and plantar uh, stretching are important, which Lori will demonstrate in a second. We will try to get people into orthotics if they have really excessive pronation or heel lifts, more likely if they're a supinator. Um, night splints can be effective to hold that foot up at night so that people don't get uh, as much um, tendency for that fascia to contract with their feet in a down position through the evenings. Um, injections are helpful occasionally, and surgery is rarely helpful, but usually we can cut this off um, earlier in the process. And so Lori's going to go over some of that stretching. One of the big stretches that would be important for you to do is the Achilles stretch, or the stretch that catch, catches the back of your calf muscle. And the way you're going to stretch this is with your toe pointing forward, you're going to lean forward at your hip with your knee straight. And where, where I'm stretching is the back of my calf muscle. I can do this with my arch maintained or in what I call a neutral position. If I let my foot fall in, then what I'm really doing is throwing more of the stress across the inside of my foot. So I want to hold it more in the position that I would like to keep it in, which is this position. I'll do this with the knee straight, and I'll also do it with the knee bent. All right, Laurie, thank you very much. Well, everyone at UW Sports Medicine Clinic would like to wish you happy trails and uh, good luck with your running, and thanks again.